you are listening to Kubernetes Bytes, a podcast bringing you the latest from the world of cloud-native data management. My name is Ryan Walner, and I'm joined by Bob and Shaw, coming to you from Boston, Massachusetts. We'll be sharing our thoughts on recent cloud-native news and talking to industry experts about their experiences and challenges managing the wealth of data in today's cloud-native ecosystem. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. We're coming to you from Boston, Massachusetts. Today is July 5th, 2023. Hope you're doing well and staying safe. Let's dive into it. July 5th, Bobbin. I hope you enjoyed your fourth. I, you know, tell, tell me what's good. Hopefully you have a good time. Yeah, it, it was fun and all, I guess. But Boston didn't get the memo that it's not supposed to rain on the 4th. People are supposed <laughs> to be outside, have barbecue. And yeah, it, it was raining for, I think, three-fourths of the day. I saw, I didn't go, yeah. I didn't make it to the uh, fireworks show at 10.30 p.m. last night. But saw videos this morning and they didn't look good. Like, it was so much, there was so much fog uh, yeah. in the sky. Like, you could barely see the fireworks. It was just some some random just dim like lightning lights. in the distance at that yeah. point. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was not fun. Uh, but like, again, I scrolled through a lot of Instagram, right? So there was the traditional reading of the declaration sure. from the old yeah, state yeah. house and yeah. the parade with everybody dressed up as patriots and things like that. Uh, again, didn't see that in person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it was, it was there. I, I guess I had a, a, a good 4th of July long weekend for myself. Uh, just helped out a few friends who were moving. Uh, caught up on some chores and then just took a day off. That's it. Oh, I got roped into moving this weekend. Oh, that's, I mean, you're a good friend, but you know, it's always, <laughs> it's always a pain. <laughs> yeah, it, it was like, I, I think it took us five or six hours and then we were so tired by the end of it. Like we, everybody just wanted to skip like even a beer that we were supposed to have after. Like, I was going to say, hopefully they paid you in food or libations. That's yeah, they did. They goes, did. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but not yeah. worth it, dude. Like just hire movers, you know? <laughs> Just hire movers. You're like, you ask your friend, and Bobbin's like, how about I just pay some movers for you? Yeah. <laughs> and we can hang out instead. That's good. Yeah. How about you, Ryan? How was your food? It was good. I, I, yeah, I spent some time with my father and, and daughter over the weekend, which it was actually a lot nicer then. Um, Sunday was a bit rainy, but, you know, all things considered. I drove to New York on the 4th, actually, to, to hang out with some family and... Um, it was a, it was much nicer there, so I didn't get uh I didn't get caught in the rain other than driving through it a bit, so okay. I can't complain too much. Although it's funny now that you mention it, at the eleven plus years I've been in this area, I've never been to like the festivities yeah. in Boston on July fourth. I think mostly because huge events in major cities, I'm just like. Ah. I don't know, just like too many people, you know, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I love Boston. Like I, yeah. I really do. And I just go on like the down, the downtime and I have yeah. a lot of time. But hey, For me, just... it's just like, I will have to go find parking, maybe walk a couple of miles just to get to the thing. Like, I don't even yeah. bother driving. I and mean, now that the Sumner tunnels close, I think tonight, right? Yeah. Um, I'm just true. planning my, my airport trips now. Like, yeah. Ugh, like I'm if you fly before me. I do, like just let me know how much time it takes. <laughs> I'm thinking I'll take a detour through Everett. Maybe hopefully that gets me there know. sooner. But yeah, I'm not looking forward to traveling the next two months. <laughs> and I, I have like a work trip and a personal trip during that time. So whew. yeah, it's gonna be interesting and not in a fun way. So you just go in and just think of the worst case scenario. That way, it only gets better from there, right? Ah, uh-huh. good yeah. way to set yourself up. <laughs> set your expectation like really low, really low, <laughs> as low as it can go. Like you're gonna nice. get stuck, and then like your your driver's gonna get a ticket, and you like walk down the wrong road. Like just just start there, yeah, and then and then figure it out. Nice. <laughs> All right, so we have a cool episode today. Um, yep. Before we jump in there and introduce our guest, let's dive into some news. Why don't you kick us off? For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. You've worked hard for what you have your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply. 
Yeah. So, uh, talking about news, uh, as we saw in the last episode, right? Again, another couple of slow weeks for us in at least the cloud native ecosystem. Uh, but just a few things that I wanted to highlight: uh, Aqua Security released their cyber security report of for 2023, and they had a few nice. good insights uh, that spoke about, like the first one being uh, they saw an increase of uh, software supply chain attacks. Again, okay. we all know what those are but the attacks grew more than 300 percent year over year so obviously that's becoming that's quite a bit yeah (laughs) yeah hot topic and uh it's the layers right like the different layers that with the microservices architecture or with the cloud native stack we have so many layers in in the application tier or in the infrastructure layer uh that's proving challenging to secure and it's interdependency between different components makes it really appealing to attackers so even if you miss that one spot like all you need is the weakest uh, link in the chain and you can break through so uh, software supply chain attacks was like the number one thing uh, they also have a list of the top 10 vulnerabilities in from 2022 so if you were not in the same organization 2022 maybe take a look at those maybe <laughs> make sure your organization has fixed those cves and are not exposed considering them yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, basically all those 10 were focused around remote the ability to uh, do remote code execution into your environments so, like once they get in yep. they run some code and which is not good uh, and I think uh, one of the key things that I found interesting was 50% of the attacks in this year's reports focused on defense evasion. So like even the hackers and the attackers are getting smarter. They know what the typical defense systems are and how they get recognized mm-hmm. by these security tools. So they, yeah. they have found ways to go around it and make sure that they're not detected even if they get in. Learning learning from the techniques that we have in place to secure ourselves, sounds like AI now is producing <laughs> and learning from it. Um, yeah, I can't, I can't say I'm surprised, though, given how much this market has grown. Like, yeah. we're going to see an uptick in how people try to exploit it. Uh, yeah, I can't I say enough about trying to get that, you know, get security <laughs> mindset first uh, early on. Yeah, like we linked to the blog and the report that they published. So please read through it. It's a- yeah, we'll link to a couple of the previous episodes in security too. Yeah. I think there's a lot of good nuggets in there too. Perfect. Uh, and talking about AI, right? Like uh, a new company called Causely. They call themselves a casual AI company. They raised okay, $8.6 million in their seed funding. Uh, they are building a platform that automates end-to-end detection, prevention, remediation of critical defects. This is a line from their website. So it looks like a marketing line. Uh, they ha- <laughs> they do have a, a, a module, which they call Causely for Kubernetes Applications. Okay. It's now in early access. So again, if you want to try it out, you can. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure. Like, again, it's just seed round, right? Like, so they're just getting started finding that product market fit. Uh, but at least the co-founders look like the uh, they are serial entrepreneurs in our ecosystem uh, have started, uh, founded companies and sold them to AWS and IBM and those guys. So something to uh, keep an eye out for uh, whatever with the, with the term AI pops up, I make sure that we include it on our show notes and talk Absolutely. about the funding rounds. And then uh, in addition to these two, uh, not really news, but just links that I wanted to share with our uh, listeners. Um, the platform con event that happened maybe last month uh, has all of their sessions now posted on YouTube. So if you didn't, uh, if you weren't able to attend the live sessions, which I wasn't, uh, you can go and catch up on recordings. And then uh, over the 4th of July weekend, I guess Kelsey Hightower decided to do a Twitter space where he talked about what Kubernetes did to him. And if you follow him on Twitter, you'll see a few interesting tweets uh, over the last couple of days. So uh, I am, I think, 40 minutes into the two-hour Twitter space. So I'm listening to it, but uh, listening to it, but I just wanted to share it with our listeners as well. Yeah, absolutely. That, some some good nuggets there. Some interesting nuggets. I guess we could yeah. probably bring them up on a totally different show. Maybe just do a, an episode on exactly what he's talking about or something. Like yeah, that. that would be fun. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe get him on. <laughs> there we go. That'd be great too. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, that's it for news for me, Ryan. Uh, over to you. Absolutely. So just a couple for me. The one was uh, Portainer.io. Um, they announced K2D.io, mm-hmm. which is basically a K3S um alternative so to speak okay. uh, it's a lightweight kubernetes distribution kind of targeted at you know low computing power environments iot those kind of things but um you know there's another option out there besides k3s i know you know those types of distributions have been 
you know, in the uptick as we move things to the edge and all that. So really interesting stuff. Um, the article on here kind of talks about sort of their own testing and what machines yep. they put it on, how much memory and all that stuff. So if you're into and that, go check it out. And... While you were talking about it, right? I, I was curious, like, why are they calling it K2D? Like, we know the K8S, like, we know what yeah. it means. Like, yeah. What is K2D? Like, if they wanted to use four-letter word, why just make it a three-letter word and add that too? And it's actually Kubernetes to Docker. It's not a word. Yeah. That, yeah. So... That's my only uh, participation or, or, or comment yeah, on your it, news. It's in the article, it says K2D is not Kubernetes. It says yeah. it's an API translator. Yeah. Um, so alternative to K3S, but yes, not Kubernetes. Um, yep. It's a different type of way of doing things. But yeah, absolutely. Good point. Um, uh, the next one I have is um, from uh, the SUSE, folks over at SUSE, uh, Elemental Cloud Native uh, OS management in Kubernetes, basically, um, Elemental is a toolkit um, mm -hmm. and aims at delivering minimal enterprise Linux and and uh, with OCI and all that kind of stuff. So, okay. um, if you're kind of looking at or probably using Rancher or something like that, maybe something to go check it out. Anyway, I thought it was pretty cool. Also, fan of the you know Elemental name, I guess I like that mm -hmm. little little rings true. Um, the other one is, I don't know if this is old news or new news, um, but uh, Mission Control Self-Managed from VMware yeah. Tanzu. Is, I, it was it was an announcement blog, but I uh, basically taking the Mission Control S uh, SaaS deployments mm -hmm. of you know managing Tanzu and everything and doing it in a way that we can deploy it on-prem or in sort of sovereign kind of deployments yeah. and getting the same sort of experience that you got out of the Mission Control SaaS on-prem. So interesting stuff there. Definitely... No. Um, I think is telling to maybe, you know, how companies are definitely looking at where people are running their Kubernetes, so whether it's on-prem or in the cloud or, yeah. or giving them options. So, um, And I agree, right? Like, it's not a, a new thing. Like, I think I went to the last VMware Explorer last year. Uh, they announced it in early access or private okay. beta. But it's and available I did register now, for I it. Okay. Yeah, it's now generally available. I think you can, if you have a VMware.com account, you can download those binaries and deploy it. Yeah, cool. So if you're a VMware shop, Maybe that's for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the last one, which um, I did talk about with some coworkers last week, which was uh, NetApp. They launched Spot Ocean CD, basically mm -hmm. um, Kubernetes delivery uh, on top of their Spot um, kind of delivery already. So gotcha. kind of taking advantage of how um, you know CD plays into uh, the process of of how the advantages of spot and ocean and all those things uh, kind of tied together. So if you're already using that kind of thing or interested in what spot is and you're kind of in the Kubernetes game and doing continuous delivery, definitely go take a, ch a look at this stuff and kind of dig into it. I think it's a quite interesting. I've always been really interested in the spot technology. I think it's a really great one. Yeah. Um, there's not a ton that like, you know, compares directly. So to build something on top of that, I think I like that. Um, extensibility to how they're using it and how NetApp's doing that. So go take a look at that. And that's, that's all I had. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Um, the last thing we do want to bring up here is it's a little bit of our own news. Let's go. <laughs> um, we have added a Slack workspace. So that's kubernetesbytes.slack.com. Come, uh, if you're a previous guest or listener, come check it out. We have uh, places for you to introduce yourself, talk with us, uh, suggest episodes. That's one place we want to definitely mm -hmm. um, you know, really hear from you if you're um, you know, wanting to join our uh, Slack workspace and have ideas that you want to get to us and want to really hear about something, please go say hello and uh, check it out. We also have a LinkedIn page now. So come, oh. you know, be friends with us professionally, I guess. You could say. <laughs> no, I think uh, I like the Slack idea, right? Like we have been talking about it for a while. Yeah. It just helps bring the community together. Like we have kept these episodes. I know more than 50 episodes as vendor neutral. So we're not there to sell anything. It's just a, for, uh, we just decided to make it a place where uh, listeners who are part of the CNCF community or the cloud native community can join in, talk to each other. Maybe they have challenges and maybe somebody else from the community has already solved them. So yes. use that as a place to just collaborate, just get to know more people. I'm pretty sure we might end up creating a new Slack channel called job listings. So if you're looking for a job and yeah. if you are a vendor who's hiring, maybe we can use this Slack channel to like bring the Absolutely. two together. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, uh, again, it's brand new. Uh, we want to see how it evolves, how it grows. Uh, we'll have a, make sure that 
uh we'll make sure that we have a code of conduct i think <laughs> like be respectable to anyone who who is on the slack channel uh Absolutely. but apart from that yeah fe- uh, feel free to join in uh we'll put the link in the show notes but it's just communitysbytes.slack.com uh join in and let's talk Absolutely. And we're excited to see you there. Uh, speaking of excited, we do have an, a great guest, uh, Surya Organti. I'm hopefully saying that correctly. He's the founder of Argonaut. We're going to talk all about what Argonaut is and kind of the challenges that it's trying to solve in the community and kind of why he started to build this technology. Yeah. Um, so without further ado, let's get Surya on. All right, Surya, welcome to Kubernetes Bytes. It's great to have you here. Uh, why don't you introduce yourself and kind of give a, a brief overview of kind of who you are, what you do, and and what's going on. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm Surya. Uh, I am the founder of Argonaut. Uh, just a quick quick history. Uh, I started my career like over a decade ago at Microsoft. Uh, I was working on Bing ads, uh, okay. and I was I was working on like the pricing of ads and predicting the probability with which a user would click on an ad. All the creepy stuff. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, and then, uh, but but it was very cool work in the sense yeah. that uh, it involved large scale optimization, a lot of pretty cool machine learning there, um, and then uh, it was also a very fast paced environment where you know we would have super large number of en- uh, experiments that are going on with a very mature A B testing framework, etc. Like peak A B testing, right? Sure. Um, and then uh, after that, I moved to a very different domain because I wanted to uh, also move to a startup. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was building a first of its kind electric scooter. Uh, I was leading the software and connectivity hardware, like hardware efforts as well, uh, like touchscreens and such. And then, um, yeah, uh, the, the startup experience was really, really good, right? Um, worked with a lot of really smart people. And uh, it was also a, a huge amount of ownership and responsibility. So uh, I, I loved that. And I sort of went increasingly smaller uh, in, in terms of the companies that I chose uh, to work with. And uh, I worked at a couple of uh, enterprise AI startups after that in the retail and HR tech space. Mm-hmm. Uh, and after that, uh, I, you know, uh, decided to start with a company of one. Um, which is, um, <laughs> the smallest of, of yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, and currently I'm building Argonaut. Uh, Argonaut is an internal developer platform that uh, helps you uh, automate uh, and manage infrastructure and app deployments to clouds like AWS and GCP. Gotcha. That's an interesting background, right? Like going from uh, Bing ads to electric scooters to uh, AI in the human tech uh, resource space. Wow, that's and just doing that over a decade. So that's I'm sure you had a lot of fun. Uh, I know you said Argonaut is that internal developer platform. Can you expand a bit more on that? Like, what does it do? How does it help? Right. So um, basically, uh, an intern like our mission is to make software operations painless for engineering teams so that uh, teams can generally focus more of their engineering efforts on building uh, stuff that their users want, their customers actually pay them for, as opposed to just keeping the lights on, etc. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, now, that's that's basically the core at the core of what we do. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, specifically, uh, given that Argonaut is an internal developer platform, and uh, we aim to be like the one place that engineering teams can go to to manage their app deployments and cloud infrastructure. Sure. Now, um, th- that's putting it very concisely. <laughs> uh, and and that involves like a lot of different things, right? Um, the way we go about it is we provide some intuitive abstractions and automation of software operations mm-hmm. so that uh, teams can generally get started very quickly and uh, also, uh, you know, not have to spend too much time configuring, uh, configuring stuff and just trying to get things to work, right? Mm-hmm. Now... Uh, like if we actually concretely look at uh, the workflow that users have with and without Argonaut, like traditionally, um, companies have application deployment teams which have their business logic and uh, user-facing features and all of that, and uh, th- then there is the uh, you know the platform team which actually enables um, e- enables that uh, enables these pieces of code to be deployed mm-hmm. in a secure, scalable manner with all the collaboration requirements and like compliance requirements, et cetera, are taken into consideration, right? Now, um, if we just break that down, that that involves like a lot of steps. And uh, each of those steps has its own sort of best of, uh, best of breed kind of solution that works for that particular stage, mm-hmm. right? Now, uh, essentially, the, the, the role that we play is that of an orchestrator. And uh, we stitch all of these things together, uh, all of these different sta- steps and stages 
um, so that you know uh, anyone who's using the product can have a full uh, understanding of what's going on okay now uh, yeah so just uh, tying that together right um, the, these kind of these steps that i'm referring to would look like provisioning cloud infrastructure using mm-hmm. things like infrastructure as code etc picking run times uh, building code generating artifacts scanning securely and uh, scanning and securely storing them uh, and then eventually deploying them and then you have the day to activities where you have observability and cost so Absolutely. all of these are things that we you know um, uh, bring together as opposed to teams having to build them in house over yep. a period of time yeah i mean this is something i feel like we've heard a lot of even from uh detroit and even in amsterdam right the complexities that i think the the more layers we add on to kubernetes and everything you need to actually have a fully fledged sort of working thing it's takes a quite amount of time, a quite a, a lot of different skill sets. And this is something I think we're seeing more and more of. Now, what I'm curious is, you know, a bit of your origin story about why you decided to make a company of one, right? So um, was it your personal experience doing these exact things? Or did you also see, you know, other companies or, or maybe, you know, users or coworkers struggling through this process? And give me a little bit about that. It's, it's actually a bit of both, right? Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, if you look at a team like Microsoft, you have a lot of people just working on this particular problem and making sure that uh, people like most of the application engineers, et cetera, don't even have to think about uh, a lot of these problems, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you just somehow ma- magically it just works. <laughs> uh, and then the, there are like a, a million fairies uh, sitting un- under the hood and just <laughs> weaving their magic through. Yep. Uh, and uh, it's it's actually a fairly complex problem, right? And um, so that 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 sort of gave me an exposure for like what a fairly seamless kind of process would look like. Mm-hmm. And then uh, as I was working with startups, uh, it increasingly fell to me to uh, also build, you know, pretty much the entire stack out. That in- and in- that includes uh, like I-, I was responsible for managing software and sure. product teams uh, mm-hmm. over over time, right? And um, you know. It, it was always this very interesting trade-off where I would have like a lot of uh, user-facing features, etc., that that we would want to be uh, de- uh, delivering, and then uh, we we would be continuously bogged down by the inefficiencies, etc., that we see, uh, and you know we internally had to build for. Sure. Now that that was great. Uh, like building that once was a great experience, and then turns out in pretty much every place that I was working with, the same thing had to be built from scratch. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, also over the last few years, right, with the advent of Kubernetes and mm-hmm. generally uh, everyone uh, starting off their journeys on the cloud as opposed to, you know, a decade ago where it was uh, closer to a decade ago where it was more of, uh, you know, you you ma- manage your own hardware, etc. Yeah. Um, and g- given the shift, the, the shape of the solution also started looking similar. So essentially, we had like uh, underfunded teams, and we had uh, like a lot of things to deliver on. Yep. Uh, and the shape of the solution looked similar, and we had to build this out from scratch at every single place. So th- this was a very inefficient mix, and uh, that that's sort of what led to uh, you know figuring out, hey, like why don't we just do this, solve mm-hmm. it as a product, and make it available for you know. As small as, as as small as team as possible, and then enable them to uh, have the same kind of uh, efficiency and rigor that you know larger organizations can afford. Yeah, and help them scale. Right? Okay. Yeah. So that's I, that's really how it came around. I forget who we talked to, Bob. And maybe you said this, but that we had an analogy about you know once you get big enough, where you're like uh, operating like a, a large kitchen. You know, every everybody has sort of a different task and at hand, yep. and that's the magic that happens that you kind of take for granted until you're at a smaller team and trying to do it all yourself, right? You have all those skill sets now that you must all you know do from from scratch to to finishing and plating and all those things. I thought that that analogy was pretty good, but um, yeah, I feel like you know this is a really cool space to be in, and it's it's a uh, um, you know, exciting to see what Argonauts up to. And so, uh, Surya, right? Like the the problem that you have identified definitely exists in the ecosystem today. Like uh, startups, especially who are starting with their journey, need a tool so that they can spend time on delivering 
like business value and differentiation and actually work make their beer taste better and not focus <laughs> on actually uh, delivering an infrastructure stack but i want to also talk about the other perspective where larger enterprises right not everybody can be a microsoft but since you have been at microsoft i'm sure there was not a, just a single idp or a single platform uh, each team each business unit might have its own platform that that they are, that they are using i'm uh, when i talk to customers on uh, as part of my day job again everybody likes to talk about platform engineering and that one solution but that's not true right you might have 10 different platforms quote unquote that you use to uh, deliver developer services to your end, end users which in case are developers how does argonaut fit this use case how can it help bigger enterprises uh, which already have these different teams and different organizations working on individual platforms right so um it, a, a couple of different facets here mm-hmm. um the I, and and i'll preface this with uh, the fact that you know we sort of deal with mid market kind of customers and not okay. too much enterprisey uh, at this point and uh, because of that we we've sort of avoided this problem for a little while um however from uh, like th- there are a few things that we are putting together uh, in place to ensure that uh, we don't like when we run into these situations we don't hit a, hit against a wall right mm-hmm. uh, primarily uh, one of the core things that we do is uh, try to make everything on uh, industry standards yep. uh, industry standards as in uh, in in some cases there are no standards as such at at, <laughs> at which point we uh, yeah. you know pick the most popular uh, t- tool of choice available, for that yep. particular for that particular problem and and go with that right now uh, this affords us a, a good standardizing layer which means that uh, things can flow in and out of the system uh, out of the argonaut boundary very easily right mm-hmm. now uh, for instance this could be things like uh, the fact that um, you know we, we use argo cd to power our gitops related deployments yeah right uh, it's uh, th- there are like two uh, two players uh, who are sort of mm, the more popular ones in this space mm-hmm. uh, and you know we we picked the one which we thought was more flexible and was generally a little more broadly adopted this is mm-hmm. flux right. and argo basically uh, yes okay. flux and argo right okay um and uh, so th- that's one example and then uh, you know when it comes to infrastructure as code uh, there are like a couple of different providers that uh, that work uh, we've chosen terraform because it's sort of the de facto Yep. um and pretty much everyone else is like uh, uh has very unique propositions and they're very interesting mm-hmm. uh, and will probably expand out to support more providers over a period of time etc right so uh like as as a product we are trying to uh, you know uh, ensure that our uh, our boundary is fairly permissive mm-hmm. and uh, along those lines we are also making it modular right? okay uh, so making sure mm-hmm. that uh, you know as a product and as something that uh, promises to cover the entire breadth of these operations especially mm-hmm. for something like a startup um we we are required to do like a lot of things right mm-hmm. starting from uh, automatically generating ci configurations on top of uh, ci and cd configurations on top of uh, your provider um uh, to uh, you know automatically generating infrastructure from uh, from templates terraform templates that we provision etc right mm-hmm. now a lot of larger organizations do not want this and do not need this right because they they have some kind of processes in place already gotcha. and maybe for new new initiatives they they might uh, refer to this kind of an option um, which is sort of baked uh, out of the box but um, you know we we do have the flexibility of just choosing a part of um, of the entire stack to work yeah. with which which makes it uh, much easier for adoption right no i i think it makes sense right like startups definitely need the most help because they don't have 5 or 10 years of ex- uh, platform engineering teams that have been around and built something internally that's custom and native to how things work inside that enterprise startups are definitely figuring things out and with this modular architecture again they can start with a single cloud provider they can start with terraform they can start start with argo cd and get up and running and then as you said they can plug and play like they can maybe switch things around if they wanted to try out a different infrastructure stack so i think that the description makes sense like where you with this tool is mainly focused towards startups enterprises can still use it if they are starting something new uh, and and want to use some of these newer cloud native technology stacks so uh, thank you that makes sense yeah and uh, you know uh, something that uh, we we do see people using us for 
uh, is the uh, the onboarding onto Kubernetes, right? When mm. you know yeah. when when you don't have something to begin with, and then you're starting off on that journey for one particular product area or one particular environment as a pilot or whatever, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's sort of where uh, we make things very easy by uh, by essentially being an IDP, which also does things right like it's not just a view layer but it's yeah. also uh, an action layer yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Uh, so it's it's a mix of those two that uh, uh, that we bring to, to to the table got it got it now you know you mentioned onboarding onto kubernetes as being sort of a uh, one of the main use cases what are some other ones i mean i know like bootstrapping you know startups or small companies do you see people using this type of tool in a specific way like you know, say they're new to cloud deployment and they want to get started on GCP. Like, give me a little bit more about the use cases. <clears throat> right. So, um, if you look at how the landscape uh, looks like today, right? Um, and let's let's look at like the the smallest of startups, which mm-hmm. uh, we are just starting off. Uh, you have maybe like a front end repo, a back end repo, maybe mm-hmm. just one repo for both. Yeah. Right? Uh, and one service for both. More importantly, uh, and. Um, when you have when you when you have something like that, uh, pretty much everything uh, becomes overkill. If you're uh, even if you're just looking to deploy to something like uh, uh, you know an ECS or something, it it starts mm-hmm. becoming more hassle than actually just getting that first line of code out <laughs> yeah. there, right? So uh, it's it's a very uh, weird problem because uh, the the way the landscape looks like th- there is something that is really well suited for the smaller teams smaller uh, like lesser complexity mm-hmm. and then the, there's something else that uh, works entirely for a different spectrum uh, place in the spectrum right mm-hmm. so uh, when when folks are starting off uh, you usually have something like an uh, some, some kind of an app runner right like a heroku or something like that mm-hmm. uh, people start off on that and then eventually uh, there are additional requirements that come in like storage buckets and queues and like managed services around Kafka, etc. Right. Yeah. So uh, when, when all of these start piling in, uh, that is when you know folks realize, hey, okay, we probably should move to a full cloud or something like that. Uh, in in some cases, people start off with something like a beanstalk or a, a, a just a container runner, yep. and then realize that uh, you know they're they have workload limitations, they have um, capacity limitations, etc. And uh, they they are looking for a more fully fledged kind of solution. Uh, so that that's actually one. A very very common use case that we see where folks are just migrating uh, onto you know the the most powerful uh, substrate that you can sort of get to which is kubernetes right uh, and and in many cases uh, it's also not necessary not explicitly hey like we want to get to kubernetes it's like uh, argonaut sort of solves the solves that uh, you know mm-hmm. ceiling limitation yeah. while also providing a use uh, a fairly flexible and easy to use uh, you know interface i think so that's you... one okay uh, go ahead sorry uh, the, the second one is actually a little more interesting and this is not something that we had uh, designed for but uh, you know, it's funny to see people use it this way. Uh, start, startups, <laughs> they always use it differently than you design. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, st- uh, s- since we also provide this kind of an, mm, a cloud abstraction layer, right? Uh, companies essentially in their first couple of years use AWS or something or GCP, use their credits. Yeah. And then eventually they're like, okay, we are getting another $100,000 for free. Uh, <laughs> let's just switch. <laughs> right. And, uh, Given that Argonaut sort of normalizes that layer, uh, it 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 made it makes it very easy, and we saw a bunch of customers doing this, which was very interesting to note, uh, but not something that we had foreseen when we had started building this out. Uh, Is this from so you're so you're talking about um, using multiple clouds in this case because you're sort of a layer on top? In, yes uh, and no. So okay. it's it's not really multiple clouds at the same time, okay. but oh. essentially shifting from one cloud to another cloud. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So making it easier because it's the the common layers on top of right. Well, you, you yeah. could use it in any way. Uh, like mm-hmm. the product doesn't really limit you, but uh, th- th- that's what we saw people doing primarily. 
Yeah, yeah this I, is an I, unknown I, use case. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I feel like this is a, a like that use case is something we talked about when cloud first came out. Is like cloud enables you to do these kind of things, but then the reality was, <laughs> you got locked into a cloud because of all the specific tooling, right? So uh, maybe this is sort of a you know we're seeing kind of a, a, a realization of, of how to do these kind of things. <laughs> uh, it's it's interesting, but yeah. Uh, Gotcha. So I know you said the one keyword and I'm surprised that Ryan didn't pick it up. Like you said, <laughs> people are using Heroku and I, I also saw... I always uh, talk about Heroku. Yeah. Because I, I, I used it in the past <laughs> and I, I really enjoyed it, but it definitely was, you know, it's like, you know, the, the commonalities and, and, and the parts that are missing are quite, quite interesting to where we're at now. Yeah. And on, on your documentation, Surya, you have a section dedicated to how users can move away or migrate from Heroku onto Kubernetes. Is that happening? Is that like, are people like Ryan who have used Heroku in the past now thinking about Kubernetes and how are we helping them? Yeah, um, so that that actually is happening a little bit. Um, cool. Uh, primarily because uh, of what Heroku is doing to itself rather than um, oh, sure. you know, explicitly <laughs> what, we are, what we are doing yeah. uh, to pull. Yeah, um, yeah. We're just making it easy for people who are looking for alternatives, right? Um, so... Heroku, while it has like an amazing developer experience, sort of can't be beat, right? Like because you, when you're when you have complete control over everything from the runtime to, um, uh, you know, the user experience layer in terms of what workloads you uh, you can build on top of it, mm-hmm. etc., mm-hmm. uh, and all the ways in which you can interface with it, as opposed to uh, explicitly taking a delineation on, on, hey, like we will be working modularly with Kubernetes and platform ABC, whatever, right? Um, th- there is a, a more integrated experience that you can provide and uh, mm-hmm. Heroku does a great job. And uh, app runners are great for that reason. And one of the reasons why smaller teams also start off on that, right? Uh, so uh, th- that's definitely there. Uh, so I- in terms of what we do to make that easy, uh, we support the same build packs that Heroku does. So okay. you can, you know, uh, you don't even have to worry about containerization. Uh, as step one, it's not a blocker really, right? And then uh, we we are sort of limited by uh, the half an hour that uh, uh, AWS and GCP take to spin up Kubernetes clusters. But uh, <laughs> apart from uh, apart from that, it's as it, it's almost as simple as uh, what you would do with Heroku, uh, where you essentially push to deploy. On the gotcha. plus side, uh, we do have like a lot more flexibility, especially yeah. when, uh, you know, given that we have the full power of things like ingress controllers and API mm-hmm. gateways, et cetera, right? Um, so, you know, th- there are some weird use cases where uh, you you need specific certificates to be used because of certain requirements, um, you know, business case requirements, et cetera. And uh, all of those kind of things are much easier to do when you're dealing with something like uh, gotcha. Argonaut. Okay, makes sense. And I think uh, Ryan found this out when he was going through your documentation where you say teams or organizations don't realize that they are spending 30% of their time on infrastructure wrangling. Again, to me personally, that feels like a a lower bar, a low percentage. I've (laughs) I've seen around the 70% mark where, again, this, this... this, this number doesn't apply to like just the new stack, right? The Kubernetes way of doing things, but traditional infrastructure admins as well, where mm-hmm. 70% or more than their time was gone on just keeping the lights on, making sure that the infrastructure is up and running. Like with this new way of doing things with Kubernetes, with all the cloud native technology, uh, where do you think this lost time is? And like, what does this actually mean? How can we give them the time back? And uh, can you expand a bit more on that? Right. So um, I, I can talk about it in like a, Two, two ways, right? Yeah. One is what the workflow looks like and where the time is going in. And the second is, uh, like, what can we do about it, right? So uh, if, if you look at where the time goes, uh, so things like setting up and managing environments, uh, they, they, they take time, especially the stable environments. And then, uh, you know, if you want to build out tooling which enables things like preview environments or like spinning up environments mm-hmm. on demand, uh, that's a that's a whole another bo- ball game, right? Mm-hmm. Because uh, you require overlays, you require specific, um, you, you know, specific things to be fixed and specific things to be configurable, uh, and domain names, etc., like DNSs, etc., are always going to be a, a little yep. bit of a pain, right? So, um, you know, just setting up this kind of stack is a multi-month, if not a multi-year <laughs> effort for 
like a, a team right yeah. and then so there's just one part of it getting visibility into deployments uh, and especially cost visibility mm-hmm. uh, is sort of a sort of not a thing at this point right like it's we are just as an industry just starting off on that journey where uh, we have like really good cost visibility into uh, and and attribution into like where specific uh, cloud dollars are being spent yep. right um and and uh, you know e- even today for instance it's very hard to get a handle on egress costs ingress costs uh, like bandwidth bandwidth related stuff um on on uh, even the major clouds gotcha Uh, and then uh, debugging is another piece that uh, yeah it's 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 a, it's a bit of a mess but uh, it, you know it, it's also fairly templated in in an organization so in the sense that every organization has like a, a bunch of a, a specific type of failure modes or, or mm-hmm. a specific set of failure modes and you you go through that checklist and you're not usually okay Gotcha. Uh, so, uh, but you know, discovering that and putting that together uh, is is going to be a bit of a challenge. And then uh, maintenance is like a, a biggie, which sort of sneaks up on you, right? Um, and this is this is what I see most people not accounting for on day one, which is, um, you know, Kubernetes versions keep getting deprecated like mm-hmm. every year, year and a half. Um, and then with that, API changes, etc., come in. Your uh, your Uh, application stacks the all the tool sets uh, tool sets that you depend on right starting from ingress controllers to certificate management to everything else um all of those require continuous upgrades to uh, essentially be secure and you know um uh, ha- for you for teams to leverage the best and greatest um that that again takes a significant amount of time so uh, what we try to do uh, is essentially understand all of these and uh you know put in mechanisms to uh you know for instance uh, automate a lot of these processes out right for instance when it comes to kubernetes uh, cluster version upgrades uh, we have mechanisms to uh you know detect what apis are if any deprecated apis are being used and by mm-hmm. what tools uh, figure out a, an upgrade path for them uh and and then uh, you know automatically manage the cluster upgrades as well right sort of possible easily because we uh, don't just provide a view layer but we also control the workloads on top yeah. uh, to an extent um so th- those kind of things are uh, you know capabilities that we deliver on uh, from day one which sort of makes teams a lot more efficient okay gotcha so so arnaud is basically allowing these admins or devops admins to not just automate day zero operations but also uh help them make simplify some of the day two operations like debugging and monitoring with their observability and visibility stack so mm-hmm. okay that makes sense like being that platform right it's helping day zero and day two operations uh but i wanted to know about the tech stack itself like i know like we love kubernetes on this podcast it's kubernetes bytes <laughs> but is there uh, are there like rarely do organizations have just one infrastructure or application stack right they might have a combination of of apps running on ec2 instances maybe they have modernized some applications to be serverless even can argonaut help me orchestrate lambda functions for example uh, just using this idp or is it just restricted to kubernetes right uh, so we um, we do not deal with direct virtual machines okay uh, but we do deal with lambdas and kubernetes as the uh, substrates that we support at this point gotcha. right uh, and uh, you know we, we've been toying around with uh, you know providing knative for instance as a first class citizen nice. uh, where you know it's it's still on kubernetes but it's also a, a little bit of a different beast right yeah, yeah. Uh, where in you know the the kind of interactions that developers would have with uh, a k10 k native enabled kubernetes cluster is going to be uh, slightly different right so uh, we are uh, you know going to be adding these over time but at this point um, like un- until we you know um, sort of saturate this out we're, we're probably going to stick with lambda plus kubernetes as we well, the... have so many employees i don't know why you just keep you know Come on. To keep We want more. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's yeah. That's uh, well, uh, depends. Uh, so we're we're definitely open to uh, all of these 
uh, enhancements and you know we've we've thought about it we've talked about it internally uh, it's just a matter of like sequencing this out yep uh, in terms of uh, value and impact yeah gotcha. absolutely uh, well, i want to switch gears a little bit and talk about sort of what happens when you see teams sort of tackle things on their own a little bit about anti-patterns and, and i know we kind of talked about this in our in our intro call a little bit um you know what what are some of the things that you find um you know these devops teams or teams putting together these these pipelines themselves create sort of poor practices or anti-patterns that you see in sort of that ad hoc approach where you know someone with somewhat of a skill set or a really good skill set over here, kind of put everything together. What does that look like? So, um, well, the, the, the thing with the anti-patterns, uh, the most common anti-patterns is that um, it, these are enabled because they're just the easiest way to do things. And okay. in some cases, it's not the it's not the wrong thing to do. Yeah. Right? yeah. Uh, on, on day one, you don't want to be set uh, like when, when, when before you write your first line, line of code, you re don't really want to be setting up like a <laughs> a, a very vast Terraform script with like Kubernetes sure, spun yeah. up and all of that, right? Yeah. Uh, you first want to get to you know an MVP and a, and and product market fit before you uh, yeah. start looking deeper into like tightening these nuts and bolts. So um, th there are usually very good reasons for uh, for mm -hmm. this, and the reasons also tend to be, uh, you know, a, a path of like history kind of thing, right? Where uh, it's it's the evolution, uh, and it, what is what is right at each local mm -hmm. uh, phase in the evolution of the company yeah. uh, might not necessarily be optimal uh, if you just look back, right? Yeah. So it's easy to call them out as anti patterns, but to be mm -hmm. fair. Uh, th there's usually a, re a reason why uh, that happens. That said, uh, that's something that we try to tackle and we, we try to ease for our uh, customers because yeah. we, we try to get the, uh, you know, the end state, but with the ease of, uh, you know, n not having to worry about the the path related dependencies right would you so, uh, would, would you say that it's more of like a you know teams start off on a path to get something out the door to to, to test the you know kick the tire so to speak and then it's harder to backpedal out of that once they've kind of developed a way of doing things right i know exactly. we've seen this in sort of security practices too where security is always like well just get me the r back and everything else that just makes my thing work but they put less thought into it and then it's and then it's they have to figure it out afterwards is it similar to that exactly so uh, uh, it, it even starts more basic than that, right? Like uh, a, a, a bunch of custom, uh, like a bunch of uh, prospects. Uh, they they even um, like I have conversations where you know the current deployment practice is essentially for like a, a team of like 20, 20 to fifty engineers mm -hmm. uh, to to actually just mm, go to an EC two instance, do a git pull, and do an npm start or something like that, right? Yeah. Um, okay. And it works. And yeah. uh, it, it works until it doesn't. Right? <laughs> uh, it, it it stops working when you know you have like a lot of people trying to do this in parallel, sure. uh, multiple like the, you know uh, th that's sort of when it starts breaking down. At which point, uh, it's it's also a little difficult to move out of because mm -hmm. um, when when you're used to this kind of a model, uh, you because of the flexibility it affords, you also start looking at hey, uh, here are some shared files between my front end and back end. Uh, for let's say some interfaces or mm -hmm. you know some API signatures or whatever, yeah, yeah. and uh, because that is enabled, uh, you know uh, th there's some kind of uh, you know, auxiliary coupling that happens. Mm -hmm. So moving out and containerizing it actually becomes an effort, right? Sure. So uh, th this is something that I've seen like multiple times over, uh, especially when when working with like startups etc. Right? Uh, it's it's definitely faster than uh, faster on day, like when you're getting started, than containerizing and getting and, and moving with it. But uh, you know, you sort of pay the price down the line, right? Uh, and then uh, the the other anti-pattern is when you know uh, teams internally realize that this is happening, and then they they sort of dial eleven on the other side, right? And sort of uh, build overly complex architectures. Which is more of an emulation of what like internet scale companies require, rather than what is required for them at, at for the for the next few years, right? Um, and and potentially that uh, is again um, a, a fairly costly affair because of things like uh, uh, you know 
introducing service meshes when you have like 5 to 10 services mm-hmm. right uh, inter- introducing uh, it's it's both an overhead in terms of management and in also in terms of like you know the net costs that that you'll end up having to pay uh, for your uh, for the same effective resource utilization got it right? so yeah. um, th- that's a second kind of thing that uh, we notice and you know uh, as a, as a part of uh, our interactions with uh, you know with, with companies we also try to um, talk to them about what the pros and cons of what they're trying to do is um, and uh, potentially suggest the right kind of approach given like given an understanding of their requirements so it's it's a, it's a little bit of a consultative thing uh, as well uh, if the if the uh, customers choose to do that so that you know we can provide our perspective and then you know they can figure out what they want to do got it makes sense so so really it's like you know process in terms of certain situation can lead to like some practices that are hard to pull out of um another part of it is inefficiencies which sort of lead to you know have have a direct impact on cost and and kind of how things are handled there and and thirdly it's just amount of like planning and communication i feel like um you know that's probably quite common in a lot of teams um i know I've, I've been part of teams just like that especially earlier on but um it's good to see these kind of things you know are, are sort of known now um at least or at least uh, hopefully better known now <laughs> yeah uh, excellent summary uh, you're damn good at this <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah uh, it, the fact that we shine a light on a, a lot of these is actually the step one to resolving this right okay. yeah, and uh, as an industry i think we're 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 getting to a good place there um, but uh, we we also have a little ways to go and yeah, it's always that's fair. evolving <laughs> okay so moving on right I know uh, when we spoke last time we spoke about dagger.io and I didn't know about dagger.io uh, and nothing existed can you talk more about what it is uh, and how does arcanot use it to actually help solve some of the ci challenges for customers right uh, so dagger.io is an amazing project um specifically because um it works as a ci abstraction layer mm-hmm. right uh, a ci agnostic Uh, layer uh, where you can define your workflows you can define your ci workflows without being tied to a ci provider okay right? uh, so it's it's great that way and you write it in uh, in code right okay uh, th- there are like a bunch of uh, sdks available for it um, we are internally predominantly golang so we use the golang sdk for it uh, it's great because you can write once and sort of deploy it anywhere now uh, there are two benefits one for teams that are generally adopting it where mm-hmm. you can you you can essentially do the same thing uh, run the same thing on your local as you would run on let's say something like github actions or gitlab or mm-hmm. jenkins or whatever and uh, th- there is that translation right which which makes it easier for testing and for uh, like faster iterations now that's great now for us it adds another level of uh, value because we can write the uh, like we can write that logic once for our yeah. customers mm-hmm. and sort of have it available on uh, multiple ci providers so uh, we we don't have to replicate our logic we don't have to replicate uh, and and maintain differences and so on right so uh, it, that that makes it super easy gotcha. uh, nice. it also enables for us things like a drag and drop ui builder for ci Uh, where you can sure. just drag a few nodes and you know connect them together etc so things like that because we can internally generate that as code and pass it on okay. does it there's a lot of the teams to use the ci tool directly uh once dagger dio uh, is used or do they have to kind of use dagger dio afterwards or is it just the abstraction that helps you kind of deploy dip, like different ones So, I'm unfamiliar uh, with the tool. I love it, by the way. I, I think <laughs> I, I learned it talking to you last time. It's very cool, right? Uh, and uh, by the way, this is by the same folks who uh, started Docker. So it's okay. essentially containerization, but or you know, <laughs> standardization, but nice. for CI's, right? Like uh, I, I think that philosophy uh, is uh, is abstractions, definitely possible. Abstractions, abstractions. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I forget who it who it was. Uh, th- there is no uh, s- someone who said. Uh, There is no problem in computer science that can not be solved with another level of intuition. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've heard that. Yeah. So, uh, to to answer your question, uh, you 
would be reliant on the dagger.io uh, sdks mm-hmm. uh, because you are essentially okay. defining yeah. all your logic as not yamls uh, that are specific to github uh, action language or uh, gitlab ci language or what have you uh, but you you are essentially writing them in golang and okay. you are using the uh, dagger.io primitives uh, and the sdk to do it right and so uh, the end user like your a customer in your case would have to also do that uh we we actually do that for our customers okay got it and uh, we we enable like drag and drop ui builders and stuff Perfect. like that okay. to make it easier yeah. for them uh, okay. but they can choose to do that as well uh the the uh the, the integration point is essentially like a a a, a stub that mm-hmm. uh, you would be plugging into your github workflows so that it actually runs right. that's about okay makes sense um well we do want to give you the opportunity to to let people know where they can find out more and stuff like that but before we do that we have a small part of our show that we basically ask chat gpt to come up with a question about uh the topic that we're talking about with our guests which is you today um and we asked it to come up with a, a question about sort of the devops and, and automation environments and it said given the complexities of managing multiple cloud environments if you were to compare devops in a multi-cloud environment to a roller coaster ride what would be the most thrilling the most terrifying and the most unexpected parts of the ride <laughs> so you can answer it or we we also let uh chat gpt answer it itself uh if you prefer. <laughs> I'll, i'll take a stab at it but i'd be curious yeah. to understand uh what chat gpt yeah, says we as do well too. <laughs> uh, the, the most terrifying thing is uh almost certainly uh network costs okay um, <laughs> okay when uh when you're when you're dealing with uh inter inter cloud communication etc okay. uh, sometimes even inter availability zone and inter region costs can can skyrocket there you and go. Uh, that kind of problem only uh, compounds with multi cloud scenarios uh, it it's very important that you design for these uh, from from day one proper sure right? yeah um the uh, the thrilling part is uh, to to actually be able to leverage the best of uh, multiple clouds specifically uh, for instance Azure has uh, op- like a managed OpenAI service, which uh, is which is great, and it's uh-huh. uh, from what I hear, it's more performant than uh, the OpenAI uh, offering directly yep. that okay. you, that yeah. customers would, like consumers would directly get, right? So uh, the ability to mix and match something like that with something like BigQuery, which is again unique sure. and amazing in its own right. Uh, and potentially like the stability of some of the services that you get from aws nice. right okay. yeah. um so uh, having the ability to mix and match these kind of things is amazing um and so long as uh, you're you're okay with the uh, you know the side effects that come in as long um, as you make it back to the to the starting point after your roller coaster ride <laughs> i think everything is good yeah you don't want to fall off a cliff yep <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah so th- th- that would be the most exciting and uh, the most uh, unexpected uh, terrifying yeah. parts of uh, of that uh, ride i think you nailed you nailed a couple that it actually came out with i mean so in terms of expenses and cost it it actually said that that was the unexpected part of the ride mm-hmm. um <laughs> basically hidden costs and performance issues you know surging um and twists and turns in the roller coaster kind of compared that to that the terrifying part it said is security and compliance it said you know it's like the drop the sudden drop in the mm-hmm. roller coaster right <laughs> eat your eat your application secure across all the platforms and then the thrilling part it actually talked about initial setup and deployment right the exciting okay. sort of climb <laughs> to the top that it 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 it, it, it says so i think you hit on a couple of things that it also hit on which is you know it's just good so <laughs> but i have yeah. a question like if it's unexpected the costs are always categorized as unexpected at what point <laughs> can we say that they are expected <laughs> <laughs> well you you know that the costs are uh, unexpected because uh, you don't know the magnitude of it but you yeah, know yeah, that yes. there are going to be there yep, uh, right. you, you you don't know if it's going to be a 1000 bucks or like a million yeah mm-hmm. so you're like didn't know how steep that drop actually was yep. <laughs> <laughs> cool cool um well surya if you have anywhere you would like to send someone to find out more information where they can find you interact with a community you might have or docs this is the time to spit it all out and then we'll put them in the show notes as well Oh amazing. Uh so uh, our our product is uh, free for anyone to sign up and try out. Um and we have a a, a basic free tier as well. Mm-hmm. And uh you can access that on our website uh, argonaut.dev uh, that's uh, a r g o n a u t .d e v. And uh you know y- y- I'm available on 
Twitter and LinkedIn and my uh, handle is my first name followed by last name which is Surya Oruganti and uh, I, I'd be happy to connect with anyone and give them a tour of the roller coaster ride <laughs> that's awesome man and again just to uh, recap a uh, highlight right i think yesterday you shared on linkedin that uh, argnaut made all the way to number 1 on the hacker news list so kudos uh, and hopefully like we we keep pushing that boundary thank you so much and yeah uh, can't can't uh, make it happen without the love of uh, all the uh, all our customers absolutely awesome. and surya thanks for coming on the show i appreciate it it's great being here thank you for having me All right, Bob, and that was a fun conversation with Surya. Um I think this is sort of the second episode we've done in a row sort of on this type of technology, yeah. which I actually uh like that we did it that way. We kind of got to see kind of the different approaches and and mm-hmm. sort of more or less I I was more interested to in see like why did they create these companies, right? Yeah. Why is this problem being solved and um you know, a challenge for other folks. And I think for for me it's really just like that need the of of the abstraction right things mm-hmm. are getting quite complex there's a lot of layers if you're to roll your own kubernetes or even even use sort of a cloud based sort of managed offering you still have to kind of tack on a lot of things to make it you know quote unquote production ready or something yeah. you'd want to keep that full uh you know cycle of development and releasing and all that stuff there's a lot of things you got to tack on whether it's like service messages or gitops platforms or you know security components or whatever it may be there's a lot going on so i i definitely see how this tool is intensely useful when you're starting out right i think it's yeah. definitely for me you know coming from a larger company i think it'd be more challenging maybe to kind of weave it in but i think both of these scenarios um it sounds like a lot of this can be a little bit flexible so the abstraction mm-hmm. kind of over top of those managed offerings or even your sort of um you know wherever you want to set things up that's i think yep. key to enable kind of the full workflow wherever you want to get going i don't know what you thought about it no i i think i agree with you on the first point right like uh this is it was great that we had cube first and argonaut back to on back to back episodes that talks about yeah. the theme that kubernetes is de facto standard kubernetes has crossed the chasm all those buzzwords but <laughs> we are moving towards a point where kubernetes is boring and even the startup ecosystem is figuring out or thinking about what else we should be solving and this is a definite pain point for new organizations or new startups that are just starting up and building their applications on the cloud native stack so uh, if i'm if i'm a two person company should i spend three months just figuring out all the different open source projects and build something or should i just use something like a, a an argonaut idp or a cube first deployment and deploy something uh, and just start working on my application yeah uh, even if you find pleasure from that pain or something like yeah. that <laughs> you know, and you want to go through yeah, but it's not your company so even if you find pleasure don't work on it come on guys we, we, we can be better <laughs> uh but even for larger organizations right i remember uh, when i used to work for a previous uh, employee employer uh they had it wasn't called an idp but they had a system where users can go and request for virtual machines which basically deployed things on their back end vmware and openstack infrastructures yeah and i left before we they modernized into delivering kubernetes clusters so i think at that point when i was leaving it was in a process where st- the developers were still requesting for virtual machines and deploying their own kubernetes clusters yeah uh i'm sure that like there are organizations that move slowly and they haven't gotten to a point where they're deploying all of the, these things for a developer like they're not deploying uh, a multi tenant solution with gitops and with uh, different sure. co- components installed i think if you are a team that's uh, on that bleeding edge want to adopt these new technologies even if you are a, in, inside a big organizations maybe the, these kinds of tools can help you get started faster and yeah. prove your value like value of the work that you're doing faster maybe you get more investments based on that so i think i like the approach where these vendors are going or where these uh, uh, the the past few guests are going where let's just make things really easy for developers uh, and and see where it goes so i'm excited uh, i also like the fact that uh, there are startups that are using the cloud credits from different vendors intelligently so like maybe they can get started on aws yeah. and then they realize that oh uh, microsoft just gave me 100000 why not take my entire tech stack 
and move it somewhere else. So Which I think no easy feat, right? So I feel like you yeah, need yeah. something kind of like either build something like this or you know mm-hmm. take advantage of. A I think that's taking us back to your point about abstractions, right? If you have an abstraction, the the infrastructure layer becomes a uh, plug and play, like it always replace, comes so. back to abstractions. You know, at the end of the <laughs> yeah. day, any take any technology problem, you're just gonna find out it's just an abstraction later on. I mean, I, mm-hmm. we've talked about this, you know, months and months ago that you know that problem of kubernetes the landscape being very mm-hmm. complex even too complex for scenarios where yeah. you know the answer is don't use kubernetes and i've actually seen a lot more of that come out lately mm-hmm. and people are realizing that don't use kubernetes is a is a very realistic option that people should do right um, yeah because you can go down a very big rabbit hole unless you're kind of taking on sort of building the platform and you know Anyway, using something like this, I feel like there's a couple different routes that the the community has taken, which is like just don't use it, or you know, solve the complexity with a tool that'll build up all the pieces, right? Or yeah. at least get you eighty percent of the way there. I, yep. I think that's kind of the way I feel about these tools. Is it'll probably get you most of the way there, mm-hmm. um, but every organization should be slightly different. You know, one or two. Yeah, years. as we all know, right? Like the last mile is the the most difficult part of any delivery <laughs> or any any application delivery, I guess for that matter. So these tools can get you that eighty percent, ninety percent there, but you'll still have to customize things. But it's better to start at that 80% mark or that 90% mark. Oh, if yeah. if somebody tells me to run a marathon, if they're dropping me at the 23rd mile, I'm like, yeah, let's do Actually, it. Actually, yeah. is that an option? <laughs> Can I do that? Let's, let's start a startup the that does I'll that, right? <laughs> we give everybody beer for the first 23 miles and then the last three miles or whatever. Whatever's remaining, they can just yeah manage on their own. That's two kinds of marathons in one, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> awesome. Well, um, anyway, fun episode, and we have a bunch more fun ones coming up in the future, but yeah. I think that closes it out for this episode. Thank you for listening, and that brings us to the end of today's episode. My name's Ryan. I'm Bobin. Thanks for joining another episode of Kubernetes Bites. Thank you for listening to the Kubernetes Bites podcast. 